The following is a part of the Radio Memphis On Demand service. It originally aired live on Radio Memphis and has been edited for time. Marshall Charlotte for you right here on Radio Memphis. You're tuned into Radio Memphis Around the World with me, Dee. And the song is called Romance off the album 11 because that Marshall right there, he goes to 11. And of course, you guys know, if you've been tuned into Radio Memphis, you guys know at some point that we have caught up with him for a live interview. Had a fantastic conversation about that set singer, songwriter, producer, and, you know, musician. He's done a lot of amazing things. If you missed that interview, make sure you go to Radio Dash memphis.com make sure you look for the radio memphis on demand and you look for marshall charloff and you look for our conversation and i tell you one of the things that we got to do is that when we sat down not only now you guys remember i learned about marshall through his original music okay and as it turns out he also fronts one of the most most special and probably one of the best you know prince tribute bands and you know and, and prince um, uh, tribute bands out there and you know the purple experience and there's a lot of fans there's a lot of people that are extremely extremely dedicated to that and what's even more special is that when we got to sit down and we got to have a conversation I got to learn about some of the people that were very influential in his personal life and very influential in his career and very influential in in, in making helping him make his mark and as it turns out one of his mentors was the same person who also was the mentor and also helped kind of get Prince's start all right, you. I mean, and it's so funny how small this this world really really works out. Now, you may have heard of the gentleman by the name of Pepe Willie, and I, Pepe Willie. And I tell you, if you hadn't, you're missing out because you know this is this is somebody. Now, you have to remember something. You know, according to Diffuser, uh, Diffuser, and Diffuser FM, um, because of his role in the careers of the time, Vanity Six uh, and others, one could be forgiving for thinking that Prince created the Minneapolis R&B funk scene by himself. In fact. It was a thriving locally, okay, before before anything showed up and before, you know, before again. And one of the biggest bands that wound up actually helping make that go was 94 East. And 94 East is a band that's named after the interstate that splits Minneapolis in half, okay? Now, the band 94 East was founded and led by Pepe Willie, all right, whose path to pursuing his fame and fortune took a detour to Minneapolis when he married Chantel Manderville, okay? And he wound up relocating there. Now, not long after arriving... Willie what works with his wife's cousin Prince. <laughs> How crazy is this, right? And then his band Grand Central, which included Andre Anderson. You guys probably know him better as Andre Simone, Linda Anderson, uh, Morris Day, and William Daughtery, also known as Hollywood, as well as other local musicians during the formative teenage years on the rapidly flourishing local music scene and those who found later success in the music business. Now, 
Pepe, okay, he is the nephew of Clarence Collins, all right? If you guys don't know who Clarence Collins is, that is the founder for the Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, Little Anthony and the Imperials. Now, of course, you know, Pepe, having grown up in New York, um, he winds up learning the music business as a teenager, watching his uncle gigs, uh, actually serving as a road manager, assisting acts that his uncle played with. And when he got to do all of that, Pepe actually saw how record companies operated. He saw the way the tours were organized, and he also saw how musicians made their money. He even ran errands for major stars. Okay, we're talking people like Dusty Springfield, the Chiffons, the Four Tops, Ray Charles, Diana Ross. Okay, I mean, I've got to like, you know, and the Supremes, I mean, Smokey Robinson, a ton more, all right? And I just have to sit there and, and just, you know, it, it blows my mind when I sit there and I read all of that out to you guys. Now, it was during his time that when he got to spend spend all of this, you know, with all these rock and rollers and all these all these cool people, that obviously he got bit, okay, and he decided that he was going to, to pursue a career in show business. Now, he had been introduced uh, to to a ton of people that really, really kind of influenced and, and, and really, really sparked, you know, sparked that, uh, that creativity in him, including people like Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder and Dionne Warwick. But... What's really funny is that I found one of the coolest statements, and this is how I'm able to reel it back into Memphis for about two seconds, is that he he got to meet Elvis Presley at actually one of the um, uh, Dick Clark shows um, in, in Vegas when he was actually doing that gig at Circus Circus. And he, told, and he tells everybody that when he saw Elvis and he was able to meet him, he thought, wow, now that man's a star. Okay, it was a different thing. So, you know, and the more that, you know, the more I got to learn about Pepe through um, through Marshall, and the more, of course, you guys know me, and I'm a stalker, so I go and try to find out a lot of information on my own and dig up some stuff. Um, he's from Brooklyn, you know, originally, okay, he plays a variety of instruments himself, um, and of course, you know, he winds up, you know, dedicating his life not only to writing and creating music, but what he's also done is that he started, you know, over the course of time, helping young artists understand and teach them about the music business and teaching how the business has not changed. And one of the things that was really important for me is to get his story and, and to sit down and learn some more about him. And not only do we want to get a story, um, it's one of those things, you know, to share that, you know, this is also somebody that winds up pushing his career aside so that one of the biggest rock icons and music icons that we know was able to put you no know, step forward and, you know, and create his legacy. So, ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, I happen to have Pepe Willie on the phone. How you doing, darling? <laughs> what a build-up. What a build-up. <laughs> I'm doing fine, Diana. Thank you and thank Radio Memphis. Absolutely. You know. Are you kidding? Man, I just... Look, I wanted to throw in... There, there's so much more to you. There's so much more meat. And it was like... This is all too cool to cut, but he's holding. I see the light blinking. <laughs> I need to get him in. Um, thank you so much for stopping down your time and stopping down your day and spending some time with me here on the show. I am, I am so honored, and it is so, it is so fantastic to finally actually kind of get into your head for a second. Oh, well, thank you so much, you know, and all your listeners, you know, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny. It's funny. And for and ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that are tuned in, I'm talking to um, Pepe Willie. Uh, and I tell you, you know, legendary songwriter, producer, radio artist on his own right, everything. And and the stories are all out there, Pepe. Okay. And, and it's yeah. it, and it's and it's so funny because. It's not like anybody can't just really kind of type your name in and pull some things up. And yeah, and and one of the biggest things that you were known for is is kind of opening the door, you know, and and and, and paving a way and, and you know for for younger artists. One in specific, you know, that everybody is is ultimately and truly interested in, you know, is in, in Prince. 
And, you know, it's 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 one of those, for me, after looking at everything, I mean, it's kind of happenstance. It was kind of cool that you fell in love with, you know, his, his cousin, and then he got married at that time, yeah. <laughs> which kind of brought you into that whole world. But, um, but, you know, the more I jumped into, I mean, and everything always goes backwards for me, because obviously there's something that'll catch your eye, there's some, some piece of information that you'll learn. And then you'll just kind of jump, dive in, and I wound up diving in and diving backwards with you because it led me, you know, to to you, you know, what you were stepping into, how you started learning things, and and, and you and your uncle, you know, what I mean, yes. and and it's and it's funny because I did not realize how deep your family really was kind of rooted in music. Right. Yeah. I have. Oh, not only my uncle. My uncle got me started in this business when I was fifteen. And uh, I have gotten my nephew, Keith Middleton, Keith mm-hmm. Wildchild Middleton, mm-hmm. who was in Stomp, if uh, anyone knows uh, about that. that Love it. Away, a little off-way um, uh, in New York. And I started him off and his brother Rodney. And uh, he um, also passed everything on to his kids, my great-nephew, my great-nephew, Cassine Middleton, wow. who finished top eight on American Idol a few years back. That is so and crazy. And he has his own band. And his brother, Khalil, Khalil Middleton, uh, uh, does films and stuff, and he's done, uh, uh, his latest is the Central Park Five that he just um, finished uh, filming that. Oh, and wow. they were also on a Netflix um uh, uh, um, series. I can't remember the name of that series. <laughs> but uh, it was about the 70s and all like that, so they were on that. But they're very talented. And it just blew my mind when um, I found out that my uncle was uh, uh, with Little Anthony and the Imperials. I was only like 10 years old Wow! at and the time. And my uncle was seven years older than myself. Right. And right. Uh, uh, when I was 10, uh, he came over my house in Brooklyn, my apartment, where I was living with my father. Right. And um, he came to pick up my sister because my father and my mom were separated. And, uh, and I looked up at him and I said, you sing with Little Anthony and the Imperials? <laughs> and he was a little snotty kid then, you know, 17 years old. He went, yeah, I sing with little Anthony and the Imperials, you know. Hey, he's like, yeah, I did. I sing with him, and I found it. And you know, and and for those of you that are tuned in, you know, maybe you're in a younger generation and you haven't done your homework, you know. But this is, you know, little Anthony and the Imperials. You know, when you're talking about, you know, tears on my pillow, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. tears on my pillow, going out of my head, not so bad. Oh. Looking in, shimmy, shimmy, cocoa bomb. Shimmy, shimmy, yeah. <laughs> I'm get ready to Amazing. sing it. I'm getting ready to sing it with you. And you know, of course, you know, we're, you know, they're you know, rock and roll hall of, fame, uh, hall of famers. I um, mean, you know, these you know uh, awards across the board. Uh, you know, and also you know, listed as as like you know the best. I mean, we're talking about iconic you know doo-wop groups you know in history. And oh, and, absolutely. And and, and uh, we did those rock and roll shows. Uh, Murray Decay, he was um, a top DJ at. Uh, uh, 1010 Winds, New York, out in New York. And he, he brought in the Beatles, too, you know. I mean, oh, Bernie wow. Kay was a very famous disc jockey. But he had these rock and roll shows at the Paramount Theater in Brooklyn and also the Brooklyn Fox Theater with all of those 
a legendary artist that you mentioned earlier. Right, right. And uh, to learn from those guys was just, it was just amazing. It was just amazing. Dusty Springfield, I remember her, because she was dating uh, this woman uh, from London. Okay. And she flew, she flew her into Brooklyn. And I'm in the uh, Imperial's dressing room, and I start hearing all of these crashes. You know, I'm going, what is that? So I stepped out <laughs> in the hallway and I went down one flight where her room was. Right. And she was uh, uh, throwing dishes on the wall. Just oh, my throwing God. Throwing dishes that I had got for her. She sent me to the store to buy dishes. Okay. Uh, sauces, dishes, plates, you know, everything. Okay. So when I brought them back, and I didn't know what she was going to use them for, but when I heard the crashes, I went downstairs and... She was throwing them against the wall. Everybody was came out of their dressing rooms. What's going on? What's happening? And she says, well, you know, this relieves tension. And oh, my going, God. So you should. You know, <laughs> I, I even threw a couple of cups and saucers. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was great. But the things that we've seen, wow. you know, backstage at that time was just unbelievable. Well, that's, that's unbelievable. That's got to be a little bit. to the store for Ray Charles and... Marvin Gaye, you know, and they were just normal, normal people. They just had different jobs than regular folks. Well, of course they did. I mean, so let's back up for a second. All right. So you're 10 years old. All right. You figure out that, you know, your uncle's part of Little Anthony and the Imperials. Um, now, mind you, you know, you, 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 you come from, you know, you come from a musical, you know, from a musical family. And, and in fact, you wind up finding out a lot of things even later in life, you know, about your grandparents. And you find out things later in life, you know, you don't really, you don't, you don't even realize how deep, you know, and seated and rooted the music is exactly. in. Uh, in you. So, but, you know, going back to, okay, you're 10. Now, at, at what point, at what point in time does, does, you know, does, you know, your uncle, you know, you know, does he wind up, you know, snatching you up and, and, and kind of, you know, and, and does Clarence say, okay, you're, 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 you're coming with me? You know, at what point in time does this happen for you? Well, the funny story, first of all, um, when I was in school, of course, and then uh, after school, uh, we would all go to the candy store and buy candy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So one of his records was playing on the radio. I believe it was Tears on My Pillow. Okay. And I yelled out, oh, wow, that's my uncle. And that's my uncle's group. And this girl, she was a tomboy, big girl and stuff. I don't even think she went to school. And she looked at me and she goes, that ain't your uncle. And she pushed me and chased me all the way home. <gasps> <laughs> oh, my God. She was, she was just, like, totally bullying you. <laughs> terrifying. So, but I never mentioned that again, you know. But, uh, um... When I was 15, uh, I found out that they were going to be at the Brooklyn uh, Paramount Theater. Okay. And I was visiting my mother, his sister, mm-hmm. uh, over her house in another part of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And when he said that, and I said, oh, wow, I want to go, I want to go. So my mom had said, you take him, you take my son, you take your nephew to uh, with you to these gigs and stuff. Okay. And he says, okay, I'll take him, and, you know, whether he wanted to or not, but he took me anyway. Oh, nice. But he taught me so much. But all of those guys, Anthony, Ernest, Sammy, and my uncle, they all taught me. And I was just going to the store for them. Uh. And then he told me, he says, well, why don't you go and knock on some of these other uh, uh, stars, artists, doors and see if they want anything from the store because I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just hanging out. Aww. And I went and I knocked on the door of uh, 
the dressing room door of uh, Chubby Checker, you know, Mr. Oh, wow. Twist. And, you know, I was kind of frightened at first, but I did knock on the door, and he said, hey, yeah, yeah, come on in. And I walked in the door, and I'm looking Chubby Checker in the face, and I'm going like, oh, my God. You don't, and, and yeah, like, you don't even know, right. I know. He says, well, go to the store and get me a pack of cigarettes, you know, some Salem cigarettes, you know. Wow. And uh, so... I, I, I walk downstairs, I go through the stage door, and they had a police line, uh, a barricade, you know, uh, to protect the, the, the artist there, and all of these people were just behind, and every time the door would open, they would scream, ah, 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 you know? <laughs> Really? And, you know, oh I'd come out, and they go like, oh. Oh, you know? <laughs> so, oh my God, oh, that hurts. So oh. I go through the store. And I get Chubby checking these cigarettes, and I come back, and I knock on the stage door for the guy to let me back in. And somebody uh, from the, uh, the um, crowd had said, um, why does he get to go back and forth and come in when he wants to and stuff? And I, like an idiot, said, well, I just went to get Chubby checking these cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, man, the crowd just went crazy. They broke down the barrier and stuff. They grabbed me. They grabbed my shirt. They ripped my shirt almost totally off. The You're guard had kidding. To me in the door, and that was the first time ever that I found out about, you know, groupies and crowds and all of this stuff. Oh, my it God. It was just amazing. It was amazing. You know, Pepe, that was such a, I mean, no, that's crazy. That was such a time, though. I mean, this was, you're talking about, um, you know, new frontiers, you know, for music, okay? And you're talking about a time when everybody is, is you know, all of these artists that you're talking about and all of these artists that you're talking about are all very iconic in their own right, okay? Are, yeah. are, are making their marks and they're, and, and they're laying down the groundwork and, and they're laying down what will will actually eventually pave the way for artists to come now everybody at that at that point i mean this was a thing everybody would go in and enjoy themselves and everybody would going to a show you know was a thing and you know and and fandom you know was a thing Right, and right, and, and, and yeah. so this was there was a lot of focus i mean there was a lot of focus on all of this and so for somebody like yourself now your uncle tells you, and and here's and here's what's going on in my head. Okay, okay. I, you're going, you're, you're like, I get to hang out with my uncle. I'm I'm backstage. Yeah. I'm doing the show. I'm all this stuff. And there's like, okay, he's going to be our slave. So we're gonna get him to do running for us. And and you know, and I, and I, there's almost this thing that clicks in my head that your uncle stops for a second and realizes, all right, I'm getting ready to teach him something. And the very right. the very first thing he teaches you is like, why don't you go ask you know our neighbor if they need something. Why don't you go ask our friend over there if they need something, you know, and go right. and, and go and, you know, this is go make a relationship. Show them that you'll go do something. Right. You know, yes, absolutely. So this is how it all starts for you. So you start you start yeah. you, know, you start being a basically what's a, a runner. Right. Yeah. Mm? Okay. A runner. And, you know, if I loved it myself, I absolutely loved it. And uh, the next following year after the Brooklyn Paramount, uh, they went to the Brooklyn Fox Theater in downtown Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And that's when all these other major stars there, the, the Motown Review and you know everybody, there was lines around the corner. It was unbelievable. People oh my were God. sitting out there for like since 5 a.m. in the morning with lines around the corner. And they had to do, and you know, mind you, all of these acts, 
that you had mentioned earlier and some that I mentioned right, right. were on the same show. Wow. And you wouldn't see that today. But no. they were on the same show. And I was just running back and forth, you know. And these guys, they did like four shows, four to five shows a day. Oh, my God. A day. So you're talking like the Easter holidays when uh, kids got 10, 10 days off for a uh, holiday. Right. And uh, Thanksgiving and also Christmas and all of these shows. Uh, it was just unbelievable. And it kept me out of trouble. I tell you, it really kept me out of trouble because I was... I wasn't such a good person. You know? What? <laughs> you know, not you. Bedside Brooklyn, you, either, you had to fight. Not you. You know, you know it's you funny. You had to learn how to fight, you know, and there were gang members and oh. all that stuff. I can't tell you how many times my life was saved by the music industry. Wow. Well, see, and it's so funny because you, you're talking about something even during it, even as far back as, as that time that that was an issue. You know what I mean? That, that was like right. that was yeah. like a still it's still like a total issue. Now, you mentioned you know Brooklyn Paramount a lot, you know, and and how you know how um, how important you know was that facility when you're talking about you know New York and you're talking about music and shows and things. I mean, how important was that facility for everybody? Oh, it was great because it gave everyone all these artists they made their stand there. You know, this is they this is how they got into the business. You know, they right. only had maybe one or two hits. You know, and uh, this was a great venue for them. And they also had, like, the Chitlin Circuit, which they called it, and, uh, yep. uh, where artists would travel all in the South and everything. Yep, and yep. Uh, they couldn't go into uh, restaurants to eat. They couldn't uh, go into hotels and stuff because of racial uh, situations. Absolutely. And uh, uh, white band members and uh, uh, people who worked for the Dick Clark tour. Um, had to go get these guys food and bring it back on the bus. Right. So they sacrificed for us to, to be here right. for what we're doing now. Right. And and this is what I like to uh, teach younger artists out here. Well, sure. That it, 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 it just, it's not a given. You know, there was a lot of people, a lot of artists that suffered so that these guys can come up here today and own their own music. Yep. You know, publish their own music. And yep. And, and getting paid and weren't getting ripped off by the gangsters that were handling the business at that time. Well, absolutely. Now, for you, so, all right, so you start running, all right? You're you're bringing back, you know, cigarettes to Chubby Checker. You know, you're bringing back, you know, you're bringing back, you know, plates for, you know, Dusty to chunk against the wall so that, you know, she can relieve stress. You're bringing back... <laughs> oh, speaking of plates, hmm. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, go ahead, go ahead. Speaking of plates, uh, my grandmother, I lived with my grandmother because my father had passed uh, at the age of 40, oh, and wow. I was like 16 years old. And uh, um, my grandmother could cook, and I'm telling you, I would go, and it was the Brooklyn Paramount wasn't far, and the Brooklyn Fox weren't far from my where I lived at with my grandmother's brownstone. Oh, wow. And uh, I used to go back home and get a big plate of food chicken and collard greens, macaroni and cheese, <laughs> pies, and all this stuff, and I would bring it back, you know, to the theater, and everybody would eat that up. <laughs> so, you're, did your grandmother even know what you were doing? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, so she thought she was feeding her boy, and you yeah. were you were going using it as as bait to to go make friends. That's right. That's ah. right. You know, I was taking all this food. I was bringing it to all of these stars at the theater. You know, it was something else. But you know, it was just a, something that I had to do. Well, of course I it was. I love that business so much. And the thing about it, another thing is that what really uh, got me into the business is that everybody got along. Right. You know, they got along. It was a friendship. Right. The only competition there was when they were on stage. Now, little Anthony and Imperial used to tell me, they said, well, go down to the Four Tops dressing room and find out what colors that, they, that they're wearing for the next show. <laughs> so I go to the Four Tops room and I knock on the door and uh, uh, and I says, what are you guys wearing? He says, oh, we're going to wear a blue, you know. And I run back upstairs to the Imperials room, and I go like, well, the, the tops are wearing blue, guys. And then Sammy from the Imperials would go, oh, okay, we're going to wear white. We're going to kill them with the white, man. We're going to come out there sharp and stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, that's what I did. And speaking of Sammy, Sammy Strain. Yes. Sammy Strain was a member of the Anthony Imperials, but... Uh, I remember one of the OJs had passed away years ago, right. and he became the member of the OJs, and he was with the OJs for almost 20 years. Isn't that crazy? And he was uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the OJs as well as little Anthony and the Imperial. Well, you know what? That right there is like getting a double crown, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm thinking. So, um, for you... Because, you know, you know what's beautiful? You know what I love about you, Pepe? Uh -oh. you're, you're never about you. You're never about you. This is hard This is hard for you because you always want to talk about everybody else. And this is what you wind up. This is what you've dedicated your life to. And that's why you are such a beautiful person to me. I keep trying to come back to you and you're like, and then my friend. And let's talk yeah, about right, him and my right. grandma and her food and her collard green. Buddy, I'm here to talk about you for a second. And I will keep, I'm going to keep, you know what? That's And what's beautiful is I, I love. Stalker. I'm a stalker. I am. Look, I love the stories because actually you actually wind up throwing some stuff out there and then we get to learn some more and I'm going to reel it back in and we're going to throw some back out and then we'll reel it back in. My thing my thing with you is that all right, so you you there has to be there has to be a pinnacle point where your uncle turns around and looks at you and goes, "Okay, I'm getting ready to give you some more responsibility or I'm going to trust you or I'm going to allow, you know, how does this work out? And and the thing about it, the the, the the your story, you know, is 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 very different in that you got the start because you had a family member that took you under his right. wing, you know. And there is such a there's such a sense of security, especially when you have a fantastic relationship with with that. So your foundation and your basis of coming into the business, you know, during a very very important time in music history. And let's remember this too: is that you you've got this this background coming with it but so your uncle has to look at you at some point and go okay we're, we're gonna give you know we're gonna give pepe some responsibility or we're going to trust pepe with some stuff i mean so so what does he decide to do what's his first thing he decides to do with you well besides you know uh, asking me to uh, go to the store for other artists <laughs> uh, i i had to keep my mouth shut 
and my ears open. Perfect. You know, we we went to dinner, you know, with the, a lot of the stars there, and I wasn't able to do anything or say anything. Sure. Uh, um, I took care of their uniforms. I took them to the cleaners and stuff and got them out. Sure. I had to spend the night at the uh, um, uh, world-famous uh, Apollo Theater when they played there. Wow. Because the dressing room doors weren't, uh, uh, didn't have no locks on them. And so I had to stay the night there, and that was something. So Chantel and I stayed the night at the Apollo Theater, you know, then. And it was dark, and, you know, it was just amazing and stuff. But he he had, um, you know, just gave me the chores and, and taught me uh, 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 about the group. And when they came off the stage, to have towels ready for them and right. everything. And, right, right, right. Uh, and just running, just running, going to the store back and forth. and. And then I started going everywhere with these guys to uh, uh, recording studios. I remember recording uh, uh, when Teddy Randazzo was producing uh, them. Um, the first time I met Teddy Randazzo was uh, at the Brooklyn Fox Theater and Little Anthony Imperials needed a hit record. Sure. And he came up uh, uh, with the outside looking in. And they had got the world famous uh, uh, guitarist Eric Gale who played guitar and they were in the dressing room and that's when they just did a, um, um, uh, I had just heard um, on, I'm on the outside looking in that brought Little Anthony Imperials back on the map and uh, and then he did going out of my head hurt so bad but I learned a lot from Teddy too you know oh, I, wow. I used to go to his house up in Nyack, New York right, right. and he was one of the sweetest guys Guys, he would never kill anything. A spider goes in his house, he gets a shovel and picks it up and throws it outside. I would have stomped him. <laughs> you know? Right, right. There, there's no hold bars here, man. I get it, man. It's like, it's, yeah, you know, each of his own. It was just great. I just learned so much from everyone, you know. Sure. And my uncle, he always told me, he says, Pepe, I just want you to know, he said, you pass this on. You pass it on to the right people. You always do that. Wow. And and this is what I learned. I learned so much. He, he taught me about uh, how to treat women. Wow. You know, how to uh, act in front of people. And, you know, and I, I listened and I learned. And not only from the Brooklyn Fox Theater in Paramount, but the TV shows like Shindig and stuff that uh, we used to go to. Right. And I, I just learned so much from these guys. It was just unbelievable. So... When I be, when I got on my own, uh, one day we was having uh, uh, lunch somewhere, and uh, and all of a sudden, because I was always uh, had a hundred dollars in my pocket okay. you know, from fifteen years old, okay. and uh, so one day we were having lunch, and I said, "Well, I'm leaving the tip." <laughs> oh my goodness! And they looked at me, and they they looked at each other, and they gave each other a little nod, and said, "Yeah, he's ready." Ready, you know? Oh, I yeah. see. I see but how I this knew went. that I want to be in the business, and I started out as a drummer um, uh, in this in this business. Yeah. And but I couldn't write any songs playing drums. There's no chords. No, there's not. So I, I picked up the guitar and I started learning the guitar, and I started writing lyrics and books and everything. And then I wrote this one song called "My Mind Is Open." And the Blues Busters out of Jamaica have recorded that song. 
and Anthony and my uncle produced it. Oh, so that's cool. So that's that's very cool. You wind up, you know, you wind up taking a lot of, you know, instances. Now, mind you, uh, you not only are you running and gunning and stuff, but you also have that that musical bug. You know, that's that's kind of in you. Now, over the course of time, as you're absorbing all of this, um, you know, Pepe, as you're absorbing all of this um, information, and you're absorbing all of these conversations, you know, you are, you know, do you do you even realize that you are going through certain things? Um, that that were historical. Did you even have a clue that that was even a thing? You know, I was just so happy to be a part of it, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, I I didn't know that it was going to lead me to, you know, here to Minneapolis and, and sure. any of that. But I, I knew that I just wanted to be in this business. My uncle told me that you can make, you know, money just with a pencil and a piece of paper. You know, and I thought, I said, pencil, a piece of paper, I'm in, you know. Well, yeah, you're like, okay, how do we do this? And, and of course, you're expecting the easy answer, and what he did was this, he took you for a ride. And, and, right. and he took you for a big ride, because you even... And it- you even spent some time with with him. You even spent some time in um, uh, on the West Coast, you know, you know oh, yeah. figuring out some stuff. You met some, some pretty iconic people there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Wilson Pickett, Bonnie Ray. Uh, boys to men, uh, you know, just a ton of people. I, I remember when little Anthony Imperials, they uh, uh, um, did the Dick Clock 40th anniversary show. So I met Dick Clock, I met his wife, and uh, uh, boys, to, and then they um, they did that show, uh, Dick Clock's 40th anniversary, and then they were up for uh, Rhythm and Blues Award that Bonnie Raitt was hosting. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, Boys to Men presented them with the uh, award. So they told me, Ernest from the Imperial says, Pepe, I want you to come up on stage and when we get these trophies, uh, you know, you grab them and, you know, they were going to hand them to me. So I said, okay. So Boys to Men was talking and then they introduced Little Anthony Imperials and I walked up with them and just before I got on the stage, James Brown was sitting in the front row. Oh, wow. So I looked over and I said, hey, James, what's up? And he goes, hey, man, what's going on, brother? <laughs> hey, sit down. Hey, you know, how are you going to not sit down, you know? You can't sit down. You're James in the middle Brown. of something. <laughs> so I sat down and James just started talking to me. He was saying all kinds of stuff. And, and I was going like, um, and Lil Anthony Prince were on the stage. And I said, James, look, I got to go. I had to cut him off. Imagine me cutting James Brown off. I had to cut him off, man. I had to go up on the stage and get these trophies for these guys and stuff. I mean, it was just uh, an experience that, you know, that I just cherished, you know, all my life and stuff. Even when I I met Jimi Hendrix, I met Jimi Hendrix. Yes. Um, My uh, 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 low-acting imperials had... um, uh, got this gig at the world famous Copacabana Club in New York. Right. And we went there, and uh, I also met. Um, well, now look, okay, I you're did, skipping I something here. Too, all of them guys and stuff. But when I met Jimmy, my uncle has, after the show, he said, Do you want to go to a party? There it is. And I said, Yeah, what do you mean? He said, Yeah, come on, let's go. So it was walking distance from the Copa, and we went into this building. 
and this elevator was like dingy, dusty, dirty elevator and stuff. <laughs> you know, you scary. The doors came yeah. down. You Sketchy. Pull it down. You pull this rope, and the elevator closes and stuff. And I'm going like, yeah, where's this guy calling? You know, where's he taking me? What kind of party is this? What, what is he talking? You push the button to a floor. And the doors open, and I'm telling you, it was like Studio 54. Oh, my it God. So It was plush. It was great. It, they had uh, aquariums, couches, music going, bars. I mean, everything. Wow. And we went, and we, we sat down. And I'm sitting down. I'm looking around. I'm all in the maze and everything. And I look, and I see Jimi Hendrix. And I'm going like, oh, shoot. And I hit, hit my uncle with my elbow. And he turns around going like, what, what? And I said, that's Jimi Hendrix, man. Jimi Hendrix is standing right over there. And he goes like, where? And I says, right there. Then he goes, hey, Jimmy. Oh, wow. Hey, Clarence. <laughs> hey, man, what's happening? <laughs> and, and then Jimmy came and sat down with him and uh, uh, with us. And I shook his hand. His hands were so long and it just wrapped around my hand. You know, and he sat with us for about five or ten minutes and stuff. Then he seen this girl, and he said, excuse me for a second. Then he went over to this girl and whispered in his ear, and they was out the door. <laughs> that is crazy. That is absolutely insanely crazy. And, of course, with all with, with all the crazy people that you get to you know, meet up with and you get to see, and, you know, this is an impact. Now, and, and those of you that are tuned in, you know, I'm talking to um, I'm talking to Pepe Willie, and we're having such a fantastic conversation about how, uh, how his uncle allowed him into his world. <laughs> <laughs> and then and, and and able to teach him you know teach him quite the life lessons and it's so funny because these are real simple and you know when you've got people now this is what I kind of try to relay this in my head everybody now is looking for that that easy way you know give me you know just you know give me the book or you know give me the quick answer give me the give right. me the end and you know and you went around the ballpark okay and this was this was life lessons this was and everything up until this point was based on relationships okay and was based on interaction and was based on um um you know movement in, in, in that in that manner and everything else just kind of you know someone you know ultimately fell into place and so um over the course of time and again you're so you're so sweet you know pepe and you're so humble about what what it was but you you know your your uncle winds up allowing you to to basically be the road manager and basically you know help you know help keep things in, in check but obviously you're you're under quite the tutelage and under you know quite the um hawkeye you know of your uncle right. as you do this um you know you find your you do find your way uh and everybody knows the story but you know we always everybody loves to hear it because i know you've got a lot of fans and, and, and a lot of people that are tuned in um you find your way to minneapolis and and, and oh, again yeah. you know you you know you want you know, four words four words that brought me to minneapolis yeah Just four words okay we were uh little Imperials was at the at the copacabana right so they have a waiting room, and then they have the dressing room. Right. Now, I used to bring everybody to congratulate Laurenti and Pierce for, for playing at the Copa. You know, I can see the turn that came up there, and, uh, among other stars, to congratulate them, uh, senators and stuff, you know, and all this. Right. So as I was hanging up the clothes, uh, their uniforms uh, from their uh, show that they did, Sammy walks into the dressing room. And he says, um, who's that girl out there with the green eyes? I said, girl out there with the green eyes? He says, yeah, man, who's that? And I said, oh, 
that's my girl. You're, Those are the four words. I said, oh, that's my girl. You didn't, didn't, you didn't even, her. you had no idea. I, I didn't know. I never met her, never seen her. But I ran out there into the uh, waiting room, and I'm searching around because, you know, the place is crowded. And then I see her sitting down. And I went over to her and I said, hi, you know, my name is Pepe. What's your name? She said, well, my name is Chantel. And I says, really? I said, so, so um, you here to see anybody special? She says, oh, yeah, I'm here with my aunt. I said, what's your aunt name? She said, my aunt name was Kalua. Okay. And I said, Kalua? I said, my uncle's dating Kalua, you know? And she goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, if you're not doing anything later, do you have a curfew or something? She said, no, I don't have a curfew. I said, so can we hang out? She goes, like, sure, we can hang out. Right. And I said, all right. And I went back in the dressing room, you know, and that's how I met Chantel, ah. you know, just on those four words. And I had no idea that she was Prince's cousin oh, at that time. Oh, I know? see. And I Prince see. was, I'm pretty sure he was very young at that time because uh, I remember after getting out of the service in 1970, I came to Minneapolis. Thank you for your service, uh, by the way. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Well, you know, I know you, know you you were in the you were in the army, were you not? Yes, I was in the army. Where were you? Then, just like, uh, um, go ahead. Uh, I came to Minneapolis after I got discharged from the the service, mm -hmm. and uh, I used to work for a New York telephone company. So okay, uh, before before I came uh, before I went in the army, as you know, and. Um, I came to Minneapolis, and uh, Chantel took me over to one of her aunt's house. I believe it was Prince's mom. Okay. And because uh, um, her mom and Prince's mom were twins. Oh. And so she took me over there, and I seen Prince for the very first time. He was 10 years old. No, 12. He was 12 years old, and being that he was short, I thought he was maybe like seven or eight right know? right you thought he was yeah he was young young yeah you know and he was wrestling and with his cousin charles uh, we call him jazz but um he was wrestling with him but you know i didn't pay him no mind and stuff but i stayed in minneapolis for about three months then i had to go back to new york to get my job um, um with the new york telephone company because i had 90 days to get my job back after you get out of the service i got you and uh so i went back to minneapolis and uh um started working again at the new york telephone company okay and then later on i did a movie for uh, uh paramount pictures it was called the education of sonny carson oh my god and i wrote a song for that movie called five cent ride to freedom Okay. And uh, during the premiere, now Sonny Carson was the guy who led the march uh, on uh, Attica. Yep. You know, years ago. And uh, so I wrote the song for this film. And uh, so now here's the premiere. The premiere was at the Gulf and Western building uh, in Manhattan. Oh, my goodness. And so we go to the premiere and everything and all my other friends who were acting in the movie and stuff. And I did some other parts and stuff. And uh, I, we sit down, we're watching the movie, and uh, there was a ferry boat ride that uh, uh, the two main characters uh, uh, were on, and they were just falling in love with each other. Aww. And, uh, <laughs> Aww. Sonny, and uh, Sonny and Virginia, that's what, that's what the names on the, show, on the, the movie. And uh, I had, they had filmed me recording that song on the ferry boat 
And now we're at the premiere, and then that scene comes up, and my song wasn't even there. <gasps> oh, my goodness. I felt so bad. I felt, I, I can't tell you how bad I felt. It, it was just terrible. And all my other friends who were acting in the movie, you know, they felt bad. And I had drove them there in my Volkswagen. Actually, my first car, Super Beetle. <laughs> so everybody felt bad for me and everything like that. And we're driving back home and I pull in my driveway and I see some guys with my tape recorder <laughs> oh my coming God. out of my apartment. And, and one of my friends was going like, Peppy, they got your stuff, man. You know, and I went like, I was in shock. I couldn't even move. And all of a sudden, uh, one of the guys jumped out of the car and started chasing the guy. The guy dropped his my, my tape on the, on the concrete. And we started chasing these guys. I got out of the car. We started chasing them and chasing them. And we caught them. <laughs> What'd you do to him? All of those guys. And it was unbelievable. So the police got them and oh, okay. them in the police car and, and arrested them. So that was like a double thing for me. It was double negative, you know. Okay. Part the movie got cut and then plus um Okay. All right. You know, my, my place was getting robbed, you know. And it's kind of ironic because uh, in Purple Rain, because I'm in Purple Rain also. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, Mars Day and I had did a scene whereas this juggler was juggling hatchets and he was uh, juggling knives and he kept missing, he kept dropping them. And Morris laughter and my laughter, that was the whole scene. Right, right. So <laughs> that scene had got cut out of the movie also, you know. But uh, I remember what Prince uh, sang Purple Rain uh, and then he walks back to the dressing room. You can see me one of the guys standing in the hallway as he goes back to the dressing room. So Aww. I still made it to the You room. still made it in the, in the dig. Yeah. Well, you know. The proceeding was produced by Pirate Radio Studios Incorporated and originally aired live on Radio Memphis. Any offers or advertisement contained may not still be valid. All rights are reserved and copyright is held by Pirate Radio Studios Incorporated, Memphis, Tennessee. For more, look for all the RMOD players at radio-memphis.com.